0: Welcome to the Common Ground Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the spirit within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus's prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rawlings and Kevin Witham.
1: Hey, and welcome back to Episode 2 of Common Grounds Podcast. We are so excited that you are here. I am your co-host, Megan Rawlings, joined by my co-host,
2: Kevin Witham. And it is so good to be back with you again, Megan, for our second edition. We've made it this far already to our second edition of this podcast. And, yes, uh, we, and I am
1: so excited about this guest. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit about him real quick?
2: Absolutely. Matt is a uh, just a great student of the Word, preacher of the Word, and he's also responsible for a, uh, a media called Wineskins, which in earlier years of my ministry, it was a new magazine that was out um, that was bringing... Uh, New Thought, New Thinking in Churches of Christ. And uh, Matt's taken that and taken it more to audio and video. And uh, there's a couple of different places where you can find wineskins and its uh, resources. So Matt, good to have you with us. He is in Auburn, Alabama. Matt, tell us a little bit about your background, your spiritual life and development, and a little bit about wineskins.
3: Absolutely. Well, first, I appreciate you all having me on the podcast. And that's an honor and a privilege to be able to have this conversation. It's an important conversation. And so first and foremost, thank you for that. Um, I grew up in St. Louis and a little town outside of St. Louis, but moved to North Alabama when I was a teen and I wanted to be a psychologist ever since I could remember. And uh, I went to Harding University to be a psychologist and um, worked really hard at that for a number of years and uh, decided I was going to go into clinical psychology. I went to University of Florida to get a PhD. And after a couple of years into that, uh, 9-11 happened, September 11th. And uh, I was home watching all that unfold. I was sick that day. I was supposed to be in the hospital doing health psych rotations and couldn't go in with a fever. So Uh, That that really changed a lot for me. I did a lot of evaluation of my life and I think probably entered a little season of depression, honestly, and uh, just couldn't do my work anymore. My mind, my heart was going someplace else, and I determined that was ministry. And so I withdrew from that program and um, went to Harding Graduate School, now Harding School of Theology in Memphis. And my now wife also, she was first year teaching in Gainesville, Florida. And so we were dating, and she also wasn't real pleased with uh, teaching in the school system and wanted to get a counseling master's. And so we moved to Memphis, and she got her master's in counseling, and I got a master's in divinity, got married while we are there, and uh, moved back to Florida for our first full-time ministry in St. Pete, and uh, did associate ministry for about eight years, and then moved to Bakersfield, California to preach at Westside Church of Christ, and then to Auburn to preach about four and a half years ago. And then we stopped that in October to to plant a uh, network of house churches called Backyard Church here in in the Auburn area. And hopefully it will expand to some other places. We're, we're looking at that. So it's been a good ride. And uh, with Wineskins, I took on that at the end of 2013. And um, with the, the online presence that it started as a print publication in 92. And then In the early 2000s, it moved online completely. There is an archive of all the past issues online at archives.wineskins.org. You can read everything back to 92. And uh, took that on and have been doing that now for, I guess, a little over seven years. It's been a real joy. Still do articles at wineskins.org. We do YouTube videos about two a week at uh, the Wineskins YouTube channel and run some podcasts also with that. So, yeah, it's been good. God's really stretched us. And and is using us in some really great ways. And and this
2: church planting that you're doing, this new kind of avenue of getting a congregation started, a family of believers. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, well God was working on our hearts on that several years ago and I had been praying that God would teach me to make disciples. I knew how to convert people, but I didn't know how to disciple people. Big difference. And so I began praying that God would send someone to teach me how to disciple people. And uh, a guy named Bobby Harrington, who some of you are probably familiar with Bobby, uh, approached me at Pepperdine Lectures about five months after I started praying that prayer regularly. And he said, hey, I need someone to write on discipling to help me with some writing, but they have to know disciple making. Do you know disciple making? And I said, well, no, I don't know disciple making, but I've been praying for five months that God would send someone to teach me and he said, well, I'll teach you if you're
1: writing <laughs> <laughs> He
3: said, he said I'll, I'll, I'll honestly pay pay you to learn it because you're going to be writing. I said, wow. Okay, God, that's pretty clear. So ever since I've been running discipleship groups, disciple making groups with uh, kind of a modified renew.org approach, which they've got a really great approach. And then he got, a, got me into a cohort of some... Um, Uh, ICOC and Christian Church and Church of Christ guys, just right down the lines with what you guys are doing. Bobby's been doing some really good legwork on some unity with that. And um, he got us into a cohort with Shadonke Johnson out of Sierra Leone. And uh, the movement there has converted hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people with simple reproducible disciple making and church planting. So I I didn't know I was going to be planting a church. I was just sitting at the feet of an amazing teacher and a couple of amazing teachers. Mm -hmm. And, um, God just kept pressing us into church planting and COVID happened and I was glad I had a job. Mm. Um, and it just seemed like don't do anything different right now. Just hold tight. And God just kept teaching us at the same time. My wife was getting a master's in spiritual formation from friends university. It's a very much a Dallas Willard discipling influence program. So we were kind of getting discipleship from multiple angles and church planting. We went to exponential the week before COVID hit in March and got a big dose of church planting, but you know, we were kind of afraid to jump ship because the stability of, of full-time ministry and established congregation and the health insurance and just all the things that come along with that, it, it's really a big leap to jump out. And I, and I had a someone I really respect. He was talking to me one day in my office, and he he could tell my heart was kind of going a different direction. And he said, why are you still doing this, this whole preaching thing? And he said, if it's about money, that's not a good enough answer. Mm. Well, hmm. You got a good point. And uh, not that it was fully about money, but that's certainly a big thing. You know, when you got two kids and a wife.
2: Absolutely. And sure.
3: A mortgage and all that. And so, yeah. you know, uh, I finally had a conversation with my elders, which is a long story I talked to Kevin about earlier. And and I felt like I needed to tell them, even though I wasn't ready to make the leap. And, you know, I wanted I wanted 90 days to get my church planting uh, all my 501c3s and stuff, try to get that stuff in order. And my elders gave me forty five days and I just laughed with God and I just said you know god you're you're forcing me into a, a schedule that I didn't want, and I guess that <laughs> means you're gonna you're gonna show me how you're gonna work because I kind of thought I needed ninety days
2: yeah he's got a way of doing, way that.
3: Of doing that he does and <laughs> it has been incredible i it, it's such a long story but uh I'll just say that God has so provided for us financially and making this leap that um I haven't worked on a payroll since October 15th, and we have not touched our savings. I mean, God has just sent the money. Oh, that's a a, a great story. Incredible. Incredible. So I would encourage people who are on that bubble, not that it's not scary, and not that it's not a little worrisome and stressful, but just to be obedient. You know, God will, will take care of you.
1: So you have a background in psychology and then you start preaching after you go to seminary and now you're doing church planting. I do have a quick question before we ask you like another question. Um, I think backgrounds in counseling for ministers is really neat. It's like a, it's an interesting kind of extra that you get to have. How often do you psychoanalyze folks um, in your ministry?
3: Well, I've pretty much been psychoanalyzing you, Megan, this whole time. So I hope that's okay.
1: It's all a front. It's all a facade. No, I'm guessing
3: you're a four and an ENFP. Ah, uh, three. A three. Okay. So I'm just kidding. Um,
1: and I'm actually I have a J wherever a the J. J is. I'm a J.
3: Judging. Okay. Well, yeah. No, it's super helpful. I mean, even just in trying to conceptualize things, I'm just an analytical person, so it kind of is in my in my wheelhouse. But um, I just I think it just helps us understand people so much better, and obviously ministries and ourselves, right? Uh, ministries of people thing. So yeah, it's it's super helpful.
1: Very cool. Well, listen, I do have a real question for you. Um, it's kind of scary. I was a four wing, so that's that's kind of trippy that you knew that. But um, <laughs> how do you see the restoration movement better? Balancing what it stands for—restoration and unity. What what do you think can do that?
3: Yeah, you know that's that's a thing that's been on my mind for for quite some time, and just trying to figure out what does that look like. And the thing, and I hope I can articulate this well, um, because it's it's I, I'm I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. And if you have follow up questions for me, please ask. So I'm going to go back to what I think our movement values most and something that I think is a non negotiable for most people in our fellowship or in our kind of branch of this, you know, of of Christianity. And and that's to be biblical. Okay. Yeah. I I really think that if we lean into being biblical, we will find unity. Now we're going to have to go about this in a way that's actually biblical. (laughs) And this is this is where I'm gonna I'm going to try to articulate this as best I can. Okay. Okay. So when we divide over things that are inferences from scripture, we're not being biblical because an inference is derived from silence. Right? Right. So if I make a rule based on what the Bible doesn't say, and then I say that rule is a line of fellowship, I'm dividing based on the silence of scriptures, that's not biblical. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Especially for those business,
2: of us that, that grew up in churches of Christ.
3: Truly. Yes. So, you know, if, so take, take Judaism. Let me just use Judaism as an example. What did it take to be a Jew? Or we could ask ourselves today the question, what does it take to be a Christian? Because however we define that is going to determine what it takes to find unity. Mm. Right? Boy, that's... Because once I say it requires this to be a Christian, I'm drawing my lines of what it takes to be in or out. Right? And so what, what I'm going to press into is to say we need to let the Bible clearly define the lines. So I can create some lines, but if the Bible itself doesn't say these are significant lines, I need to be careful in making them, to not make them significant lines. And that's being biblical. So let's go back to this question. What does it take to be a Jew? We can say, well, they had 636 laws or whatever it is, but not all of those laws made you a Jew. There were four things that really were the identifying markers of Judaism. If you were not kosher, you were not Jewish. The Old Testament says, cast them out. If you didn't observe the holy days and the Sabbath and were not circumcised, you were not Jewish. You were to be cast out from the people. If you violate and or killed for some of that stuff. So not all the laws were identity markers. Right? Does this make sense? Uh Yes. So um, when we look at Christianity, I think we have a very similar thing going on. Are there lots and lots of laws and rules and examples and things we should follow? Certainly. Are all of them identifying markers? Are all of them what it takes to be a Christian, following all of them precisely? Well, it wasn't that way for Judaism. And I find Christianity to be a lot more grace-oriented even than that. And so once we get to the point of saying, to be a Christian, which is who is united, whoever we say is in that circle, we're finding our unity in that definition, right? So whenever I use a definition that says, you must get all the commands right, except holy kisses and lifting holy hands and wearing jewelry. And you must follow all the examples, except meeting in homes, meeting in the temple, etc., meeting by, you know, the river and things like that. And you must follow all of my, what I determined to be a necessary inference. Who gets to de- determine which inferences are necessary is up for grabs. Right. So, so we, we really, when, once, I, I would say this way, that, that paradigm is all about biblical authorization for practice. But what we turned it into was lines of fellowship. And I think that's a big misstep because it's not biblical because the Bible never says, make sure you define Christians based on all these criteria. Mm. Right. So the Bible says Christian, go ahead.
2: Well, so, which leads me to a question as you've thought this through and, and I'm following your line of reasoning and it resonates in a big way with me. Um, you you point out four things that define whether or not a person is a Jew or not. As you've kind of thought this through in your mind and study, what would you say are the critical things that make one a Christian, make one a believer?
3: Right. Okay. So then this is where it gets a little dicey, right? Because we right. don't have verses like in the Old Testament where it says, you know, and uh, if you don't take communion on the first day of the week, you are to be removed, cast out from among the people, you know. Right. Um, if, if you, I mean, think, think for a moment, even back to, I'm going to answer your question very directly, but, you know, think back to Acts 15, this council in Jerusalem, they have this question, how does a Jew become, how does a Gentile become a Christian? Basically, must a Gentile become a Jew to become a Christian? Yeah, And they go back to Leviticus, and they must have read all of Leviticus, or else just the Holy Spirit, because they said it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit at the end of that chapter when they make their decision. It seems right to us and the Holy Spirit to do this. Don't mm-hmm. eat meat, strangle strangled animals, don't eat meat with blood in it, no sexual immorality, etc. Well, if you look up each of those rules in the Old Testament, every one of those rules that they bring up, it says... And this rule is to also apply to the alien and the stranger living among you, which means those were always the rules for Gentiles living among Jews. Right. Mm. So they didn't say you must worship acapella and you must take communion every first day of the week. And you must, they didn't go down this list of things that are good things. Those are good things. Mm-hmm. But nowhere in Scripture are those things even somewhat, some are made from inferences or silence as restriction, restrictive silence. We are going beyond the Scriptures to make those items of salvation, lines of fellowship and unity, right? So to answer your question, this is where the rub is, is, okay, how do we really decide which things are lines and which things are not? Now, the first thing that we have to determine from from people who being, being people who respect the scriptures are that the bible itself actually does make distinctions that some things are more important than others and there's two places that you're going to go to find that the first one is 1 corinthians 15 where paul says now i'm going to teach you of the things that are of first importance well if i'm being biblical then i have to say some things are of first importance paul's going to share some of them That means other things are not of first importance. Certain other things, not everything, but certain other things. That Paul himself makes a distinction that some things matter more than other things. But see, we don't often make those distinctions. Right. right? We just say everything is just as important. When when we say everything is just as important as everything else, we are going beyond the Scriptures and being divisive, which is against the Scriptures.
2: Yeah, contradicting, actually, the teachings of Christ
3: directly. The other place you're going to go to find that is Romans 14. And there's been a lot of time spent on Romans 14. We don't need to exegete it. But Romans 14 really bothered me when I was a younger Christian because I'm so logical. And Paul says, one of you thinks X and the other one of you thinks Y. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord and don't judge each other. If we had just followed that one instruction. We would be so much more united than we are today, and we would be being perfectly biblical. Now, the question is, what things make that list today and what things don't make that list today? Because Paul's talking about holy days and all kinds of other things and eating meat or not and this kind of stuff. We know that makes the list because Paul says it makes the list. So so what makes the list and what doesn't make the list? And this is where we're going to probably have some differences of opinion. We're going to have to kind of follow our own convictions. But I will at least say this, which, which will still divide us a bit. But I think once we at least come to that conclusion that some things are indeed more important than others and the Bible itself teaches not every single thing as a dividing line because if it were, God would have said, this is a must. Mm-hmm. Let's emphasize this enough that you'll get that this is non-negotiable. So let's take, let's take communion every first day of the week. We say, well... We take that from Acts 20, verse 7, where they met together on the first day of the week for the breaking of bread. Well, but Jesus said, as often as you do this, Acts 2 says they did it every single day. So which one is it? Well, we we, we wouldn't take it on a Thursday, even though they took it every day. And Jesus said, whenever you take it, but you must always take it on Sunday. Do you see how unclear that is, really?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: absolutely. And so... So if God is going to send people to hell over getting confused over that, I have a real problem with that. I I, I will say that that is a very—not that God's not dangerous, but uh, if if that's God's persuasion, I'm I'm deeply troubled by that. So
2: one of the points of restorationism has been to kind of get back to this pure stream and try to practice our Christianity as close to what we read in the New Testament as possible. If you were— is kind of starting out to to initiate a restoration movement, what would be the things then that you would critically think, these are the things I would emphasize, these are the things to be restored, where we need to go back, and uh, with that, how do you unify people? You know, this whole Stone Campbell movement has been as big of a a, a unity movement, or should have been, that was at least in the inception and Thoughts of the the founders and the initial pioneers of the movement. How do you build unity and emphasize restoration at the same time?
3: Yeah, such a good question. So one of the things that I think we notice is, is that when people get complacent, they begin picking. When people get complacent, they often get quite bitter. Mm. When people stop moving, when we lose our mission, so, in essence, Jesus said your mission is to go and make disciples of the nations. We said our mission is to restore New Testament Christianity. Okay. Yeah. My, my, my friend Eric Brown said, I thought it was just genu- a genius line, where he said, the first century church did not try to be the first century church. They tried to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So the more I try to be like Jesus, the more I'm like them. So I I think we would really want to restore keeping Jesus in the center rather than church in the center. I think we would want to restore a deep reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit because Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to guide you in all truth and the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do the mission. So if we reject the Holy Spirit, we're rejecting our empowerment and we're rejecting God's divine guidance, although we have it in Scripture, but I I think the Holy Spirit works very hard. And I think we can grieve the Holy Spirit and lose our way. So I believe that I would want to emphasize grace with conviction which is, yes, there is grace, but there are also things that are right and wrong. You can't just do whatever you want. And our reliance on the Spirit and restore our mission. Because what we said is, well, our mission is just to be biblical. And then we can say, well, as long as we're biblical, we're being faithful, but we're actually being disobedient to the Great Commission, which is not being faithful. So th- those are a few things. I, I, th- I think that you, know, you have to counterbalance certain things like, like Romans 6.1, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You have to say, well, a disciple is someone who is both baptized and instructed to obey Jesus. It, and there's getting, also grace.
2: It's getting it all back to the person rather than yes. a a pattern that we're seeking to implement or yes. restore, getting it back to a relationship rather than a set of religious practices that, uh, we, we try to uh, implement in the way they did 2000 years ago. And, and, uh, I've heard that and seen that in your teaching and in others, and you've, you've expressed that so well. Um, yes,
3: I think that we kind of got the cart before the horse, and then we said that we arrived because we got it just like they did. But my, my question to that has always been, well, which church of Christ are we trying to be like, the one in Corinth or the one in Galatia? Or, or, or are we trying to be a hypothetical conglomeration of the best parts of all these churches that never actually existed? Because oh, yeah. Paul, and, and 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 so a thing we have to wrestle with is and, and I don't none of us are sectarian and you know this sort of thing, but Paul Paul says to the church of God in Corinth, and then he says, "Hey, listen up! You better correct all this stuff. This is messed up stuff." But he doesn't start the letter by saying, "The almost church of God in Corinth," until <laughs> you listen to all this and then get your doctrine straightened out. And then you'll be, I mean, they were royally messing up the Lord's Supper. Right. But they were still God's church. Yes. So think about unity on that point. Just just the opening lines of the epistles say, every church he wrote to had major problems, and he still started his letters by the Church of God in Corinth. And you would think today that we struggle with unity because we say, well, that church doesn't get this right, and that church doesn't get that right. Well, does that disqualify them? Is is there biblical precedent to disqualify them from being united with us over that particular issue? Well, if it's the divinity of Jesus, then yes.
1: Mm. Excellent. But a lot of things don't make that list. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I am going to switch gears on you for just a second. Um, One of the things that you do, you have a lot going on, but one of the things that you do is wineskins. You're really involved with that. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about what that is, the kind of resources offered, and how they can find that? Oh, absolutely.
3: Uh, Thank you for asking that. So um, the main site is wineskins.org, and there are a couple thousand articles there. If you want to find, really, the, the main page is going to give you like the latest issue, more like a magazine format hmm So if you want something beyond just what's happening this month, you go to archives with an s dot wineskins.org and you'll get all the way back to ninety-two. There's thousands of articles in there. Um I we host Wineskins hosts a couple of people's sites. We host John Mark Hicks's blog, John Mark Mark Hicks. I always forget if it's com or org, I think it's dot com and uh com, where I've written since oh six or oh seven. There's a couple thousand articles in there. Um, and then Wineskins YouTube is just youtube.com slash Wineskins, and the podcast, there's about 305 videos on the YouTube channel, and uh, by various people, mostly by me, but we collaborate with various people, John Mark Hicks has done quite a bit on the YouTube channel as well, and uh, we've covered things from the racial issues that have been going on, a video went up on that today, we talk a lot about theology, we talk a lot about just Church of christ and and kind of you know, I, I kind of see it as a place for people who are struggling with legalism to go and find out they're not crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Very good. So, oh, well, well Matt, somebody else. I'm thinking
2: like that. you've also got a, a Facebook page and I've seen some good interaction and conversation there. I'm going to tell you up front, but, you know, th- with this being a new podcast and sitting here listening to you talk, I get tempted to try to take us down a number of rabbit trails where you say something. I think, man, that'd be interesting to Develop further, um, and our podcast is designed with getting people to to think about some things as well as talking about some resources. So uh, our time has limitations. Uh, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. A lot that I'd love to talk about, but we're going to carry this over into the next podcast, folks, and bring Matt back with us um, because Matt's been one of those sharing a lot of thought and resources that people have been reading and listening to. So we thought it'd be good to have him for one more week so to take this a little further matt come back for our next podcast and folks join us again with matt dabs next week for me uh thank you for being with us megan you got anything to say to close this out
1: yeah thanks for tuning in and make sure you see listen to part two um you're you're not going to want to miss it
2: all right we'll see you back here next time folks see you matt
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.